0: Putting the pieces together with Jigsaw Learning focuses on stories from the field as leaders implement collaborative response. Join us every month as we invite our partners to share how they are meeting the diverse needs of students with the integral understanding that every child deserves a team.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. Curtis Lorne and I are joined today by Carolyn Jensen, Principal of Memorial Composite High School in Parkland School Division. So hi, Carolyn. Thanks for joining
2: us. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you along.
1: Yeah,
0: great to see you again.
1: Carolyn, for our audience who doesn't know you, can you share a little bit about your educational experience and how you came to be the Principal of Memorial Composite High School?
2: Sure. Um, so I'm toward the tail end of my career. I've got retirement in my sights. So uh, well over 30 years in education. And uh, I started off as, a, a back in the day, a special education teacher, sort of worked a lot with behavioral programming um, at the secondary level. And then that sort of moved into, back in the day, it was IOP, but now it's KE programming. And then I uh, moved into becoming a school counselor, which then led to administration, Um, I've worked in uh, early in my career, I uh, purposely bounced around a a bunch of smaller communities and uh, then uh, about 15 years ago ended up in Northern Gateway working in Marithorpe and for the last 17 years I've been in Parkland School Division. Uh, administering uh, an alternative ed program. And then I went to division office and was a uh, a facilitator there for mental health initiatives and the AC program back in the day, which is where mm-hmm. I, I initially met Curtis, and then um, uh, moved uh, to become the principal of Forest Green, a to K-6 school, and back to the alternative school, both those schools at the same time. And then I have now been just finishing my seventh year as principal at Memorial. So uh, got a lot under my belt.
3: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. I feel like remember. I missed an opportunity.
2: <laughs> We're in
1: Northern Gateway at the same time I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we remember
3: those good old days of AC, right? <laughs> yeah, having that opportunity to 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 do so much learning and project work through AC. I, I lived through all of that as well. So.
0: <laughs> so for anyone watching or listening that are not aware what that stands for, it's the Alberta Initiative. school improvement improvement. and it was a series of years that were really focused in on um, a lot of action research out in schools and really trying to fund and support uh, what became a lot of professional learning and really exciting projects through that which again is where we first connected (laughs) Carolyn for collaborative response.
3: So Carolyn, uh, you talk about Memorial Comp where you've spent the last seven years. Uh, we'd love to know a little bit more for our listeners about uh, Memorial.
2: Well, we're so we're in Stony Plain, uh, just west of Edmonton, and uh, it's a fantastic school. Um, I we right now we're in a bit of a growth phase, so uh, it's grade ten to twelve, and uh, we will be crossing thirteen hundred students next year. So. Um, wow which is uh, well over 200 kids in two years. Um, oh. So anyway, uh, so yeah, I think the the city's spreading west. One of the things I love about Stony Plain is that even though we're pretty much getting to be a bedroom community of Edmonton, um, there's still very much... Stony Plain looks west. It looks to its agricultural roots. It's been a farming community for many, many years, though I believe we're over 18,000 people now. But there's definitely um, that historical piece of and that at that view to to that agricultural side of things, which is just really, you know, good people who are pragmatic, get things done. Um, We've got a really large catchment area. So we go all the way out to Entwhistle and Tomahawk. So that's, that's an hour's drive just on the highway. So we've got kids on the bus, you know, coming in for almost a two hour bus ride in the morning. And at the end of the day, some of them. Um, and within our catchment area, we also have Paul First Nation. And so we've uh, typically got 50 to 60 students from Paul First Nation attending every year. But uh, we've got over uh, 200 kids who identify as Indigenous in one way or another. And so that's a a factor that we take very seriously there um, to support those students. Uh, I think the point of pride for people in our school is that word composite. Um, You know, We've got a pretty Mm -hmm. new building. We've only been in here for about a dozen years, but uh, as a newer school, we do have a full suite of shops. So we've got the mechanics, fabrication, construction. Uh, we've recently, this year, just opened up a CNC design program. Um, but, you know, carrying on, we've got a full range of computer programs, a full range of business programs, art and graphic design, Comtech, three languages, uh, German, French, Japanese, uh, Sportsmen. a very active athletics program, fine arts, um, and uh, our choir just won some awards this year so um yeah there's there's lots going on and through the work of uh, a lot of the work through collaborative response um we've recognized and and had to respond just like everybody else is to a lot of circumstances so you know we've got a uh, when i arrived here we had a program uh, called uh, uh, laws living academic work skills for it's a a non-credentialed program for kids with um uh, medical and cognitive challenges and then uh, a KE and e program like many schools have but uh, recently we have um, this year is the first year of a transitions program for our grade 10 students mm-hmm. um, recognizing you know and COVID, COVID just exacerbated a situation that was already there we've got many kids coming in who are cognitively able but just have Um, gaps they just have gaps and they would not be successful and we're really quite proud of the results uh, this year so um, we started off with 23 kids and uh, there are 18 of them who will be going on next year who Ah. in in a previous you know in the previous way things operated most of them probably would have just faded away you know our feeder schools do wonderful things every high school has great feeder schools but um because of all kinds of circumstances, the feeder schools just didn't really even know where the kids were functioning at. And so um, of those students, we've got uh, two who have transitioned to the laws program. Uh, they're, they're, they're that low, but they're so socially capable that, you know, it was kind of hard to figure out where they were at. You know, a, a good number are transitioning to K&E 11. But the intention of the program was always to be able to put the foundational skills in place for those students who were capable to be able to go on to a diploma route. And so a a good number of those students will be ready for 10-2 programming next year. So they they won't. Yeah. And that was always the thing is that when we had those students coming in, you know, with because of the gaps, well, where can we put you? Well, we'll put you in K and E so you can be successful. But they know what's beneath them, so then they check out. But you know, we've we've been able to find some of the curriculum that we needed and the assessment tools that we needed to be able to essentially create a grade ten home room for them and. Mm-hmm. Um, do a lot of skill building, skill development, and uh, and get them ready and transitioned into the appropriate program for their grade 11 year. And then the other new program we created this year, and um, this one's going to be a bit of a mouthful for me because we were just gifted, it's, it's an Indigenous support program, and we were just gifted the name by some elders. The, the English translation would be where people of all nations teach and learn. and uh, Paul First Nation is a uh, an, uh, reserve that is partly Cree and partly Stony. So there uh, are, are both Cree and Stony words in it. And so it is, Inu Ex Nomadawen with Uthbeo chek KB. And that's hard. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <Outstanding>. I'm impressed.
3: <laughs> oh, awesome. Carolyn, that is amazing. You are really offering so much. And then, like you mentioned, within that rural feel still of, mm-hmm. you know, of the area, but being able to really focus in on what do What do kids need? What do we know about them? And then designing that programming appropriately for what they need so that they can be successful, which is Mm -hmm. our ultimate goal, right?
2: (laughs) Ultimately. I mean, gotcha.
3: Carolyn,
1: I can see why Curtis and Lorna speak so highly of your leadership skills. When you talk about the variety of programming and all the things that you have your fingers on, that is absolutely amazing. Well, thank you. You mentioned getting to know Curtis and Lorna through AC. Mm-hmm. So what is it about getting to know them then to this time now? Cause it's been a number of years. What is it about that relationship that you've maintained contact and stayed involved with them?
2: Um, I think Curtis was, uh, he was sort of like the statistics guy of the university consultants <laughs> for AC. So when, when I needed to get the research portion of the divisions AC project going, he was my, he was my support person, but, uh, um, you know, through the conversations that we had, um, you know, became aware of some of the passions that he had. And um, when I left Division Office, I went to Forest Green, which is yeah. a K to six school. And uh, so when when I got there, um, it became very clear very quickly that we needed some work on our students' academic performance, the the literacy and the numeracy and the PATs. We're just not not good across the board. And so we we needed to be able to have a system to put, I'm, I'm very much a systems thinker. One of my foundational beliefs is that uh, the wisdom is in the room. You know, teachers, we're professionals, we've got degrees, we have experiences, we are problem solvers. And with all of that. Why, why bring in external people? I mean, sometimes we need them to get a, a boost. Curtis, we brought Curtis in to give us a boost to get us going, but essentially to create a system where where we can support ourselves in supporting our kids. And uh, that, that's really a lot of what collaborative response is about. And what it's, you know, that that it, it matched that foundational belief that I've had. The other thing is is that. Um, you know, he was just at the point that point in time, starting out jigsaw learning. So we were kind of learning together, I think, at the time. And, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so so, um, you know, so he, we, we, we did a lot of back and forth in terms of how, how could this go? Everything from the time, you know, the timetabling piece, how do you make that work in a, a little school that, um, doesn't have, you know, a lot of flexibility because it's so small. Um, um, but as you know, between, you know, brainstorming back and forth, I think we kind of helped each other a little bit in terms mm-hmm. of, I, you know, I said, come on in, let's, uh, you, you can have the run of my school and, and I will, uh, let you help me however you can (laughs) and uh and so that's that's where it started you know and um and so um unfortunately fortunately depending on how you look at it, i was only at forest green for two years um but uh forest green the staff there was very willing and they they wanted they wanted a system to be able to support their kids they knew the work needed to be done and so within you know with within two years, CR was established and it was, it was functioning. Unfortunately, the unfortunate part is that I left before it really got entrenched. Um, But I think, I think the work is still happening, although in a different Mm -hmm. format. Then um, I ended up moving here, which I actually have been a high school person most of my career. So the forest green was a bit of a a detour, uh, but it was a good detour. Um, But in coming to Memorial, very different context, obviously much larger staff, high school level. Um, and and the the needs here were different. Two big bits of feedback I got when I first arrived here were the staff really wanted the opportunity to work in an interdisciplinary group in teams. And um, you know that we're a, a sprawled out school, and so it is quite possible that a science teacher might not see a social studies teacher for a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. uh, and so there was this disconnection, feeling of disconnection, and and the staff really wanted that to be overcome. There, there needed to be a degree of professional learning um, because, uh, when, again, when I arrived here, uh, professional development time was very task-oriented. They were spending a lot of time working with assessment tools and things like that, and it was about tasks, not necessarily so much about learning. And so there was a shift that needed to occur there was they really needed a communication tool about kids and how they learn, a, or a communication system. Um, uh, because and it's just the the nature of high school that's one of the the features of high school is that kids have multiple uh, teachers and teachers have large rosters of students and so having an efficient um, and comprehensive communication system about student learning was something that they really really were asking for so uh, as I thought about that feedback that I'm getting I said well Hmm, collaborative response will solve some of those (laughs) you know so create create the the cr teams from an interdisciplinary point of view and then as we work with our data and evidence and as we document our meetings the communication about student learning is occurring and so i took a bit of a break because we had to do some foundational work here to get ready for cr it took a couple years to do that but once again when the school was ready I, i could see that we needed to get to to the CR destination, um, and uh, and then invited Curtis back, and uh, uh, brought the staff on on board in terms of what CR was, how it works, and um, and we've been working at it for I think three years now. So,
0: when you mentioned uh, Forest Green, and with the size of the school, that was all right. We're going to bring everybody together. We're going to learn about this, and then we're just going um, mm-hmm. with it. With the size of the high school. And like you said, there was some foundational work. And I remember you talking to me about the foundations of professional learning communities that had been established that we're working through and and we're gonna be ready for that next step. Can you describe how you went through a very intentional introduction of the work? Because it certainly wasn't a, all right, let's just pull everybody together and talk about it. it was, there was intentionality. And I think our listeners, especially those in larger schools, would love to hear how that was mm-hmm. almost phased in to build up, um, I guess, that critical mass to make the work move forward. Because exactly. there was in, in a school your size, of course, not everybody is going to be cheering okay. about every new initiative that comes nope. in. And I, nope. I remember some of those conversations at that point.
2: Well, I think when I arrived here, I think there were in the neighborhood of 45, 48 teachers. We're, we're up to 61 now. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, like I mentioned, the, the, when, I, when I arrived here, professional development was very task oriented. They had been doing some fantastic work for about for two, three years. I'm not quite sure in regard to assessment and blueprinting exams and and those kinds of things and so they were very expert in that but they were also very tired of that work and so they they were okay with the shift however that that paradigm shift of moving cuz teachers are doers we all know yeah. teachers want to do things and so shifting that paradigm to to get to the place where before I can do something effectively, I should learn about it. Um, that, was, that was a challenge. And so in that um, first year, um, that when I knew we had to get to the, the place of collaborative response, the first year was about creating those interdisciplinary teams and about shifting that paradigm to learning. So I allowed, I, through PD days, through a multiple series of PD days, the teachers were allowed to create their own groups they were allowed to choose their own topics and, in, and the, the only criteria was at the end of X number of PD days, five, eight, I can't remember, um, they had to produce a product. Um, and so it could be whatever it was. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it was really cool. Like there's one group I remember that they, they wanted to get into verbal assessment and I had a physics teacher, a foods teacher and a Japanese teacher in the same group. But yeah, the, that's the, awesome. But the, yes, but the but again, they you know so they took some time in terms of you know what are the effective means of verbal assessment, and then you know they were able to each tailor particular activities to their classes. Um, so that was the first year, and and there were some bumps. You know, some of the groups were very effective, and some of the groups were not very effective, um, which was which is fine. That's that's what happens in any staff. But when we did the sharing at the end, um, you know. I think everybody was able to say, okay, I see what that group did. I could learn from that and, and that sort of thing. So, so the next year, um, year two, um, was still continuing on the PLC model, but then we added an inquiry cycle and saying okay you can still pick your groups you can still pick your topics but now we want you to go through a process where you're doing some research you're doing some application you're gathering some data about how it worked and you bring it back to your team analyze it and try again Which you can do in a high school in the semester system very easily mm-hmm. and so it elevated it from just you know gathering around and chatting Not that that's what happened in the first year, but it, it essentially put some accountability, but it also put some a level of professionalism in terms of the work that teachers were doing by adding that inquiry cycle. In the meantime, what I was doing on the side, um, you know, that's what I was doing with the whole staff, but um, in a large high school. Most schools, we call it a leadership council, most schools will have uh, uh, department heads, we call them lead teachers. Um, and uh, that, that group essentially is the leadership team for the school. And so um, it, it that has been a very essential element of moving the collaborative re- response work forward. And so in working with that team, um, Uh, in that second year jigsaw was still in its infancy so they weren't having conferences and things like that at that point in time but i uh, graciously sent four people to winnipeg in the middle of winter (laughs) to an rti session um but uh anyway um they uh so you know again to um you know, bring up the uh, level of understanding, create some enthusiasm um, uh, w- among the leaders on staff. And so uh, we ha- did have a few people who were already trained and then the four more that came back and um, th- th- there was a recognition that this was something that might actually be able to work. Um, the other piece that came with it is is the next paradigm shift was to shift away from the notion of instructional development being the driver of the learning to students needs being the driver of the learning. Mm -hmm. And so, so um, as the leadership team was leadership council was sort of shifting their gears in that regard um, brought Curtis in uh, mid year to talk with that uh, with the leadership council in terms of how collaborative response was was going to be able to, you know, would be a good fit in terms of that shift. And and most teachers, you know, were able to see that and, you know, and they, and they, you know, inherently knew that what their student needed, what their students needed should be the driver of what they're doing. Um, and so it was just a question of, of, of uh, you know, understanding how that could come to be through the team meetings, through through the preliminary data at the team meetings and then the ongoing follow-up and and associated interventions, which come from the continuum of supports. Once they understood those pieces, those three key pieces and and could see them together, they kind of went, yeah, okay, we can do this. I I think it can work. And then essentially what it came down to was once the leadership team was on side, uh, brought Curtis back again in May and essentially did a pitch to the staff. And said, "Okay, guys, what do you think?" Um, and you know, there had been enough, like you said, critical critical mass, Lorna, in terms of that the leadership team, and um, you know, conversation was happening uh, following meetings, taking back to department meetings, that kind of a thing. And uh, so Curtis came in May, and uh, we did the pitch to the staff, and and asked them to sort of chew on it for a couple of weeks, and then. Um, Came back to uh, uh, the leadership department. Meetings occur. The leadership team came back, and we said, "Okay, we're ready to dive in." And so, so that was, you know, two. It took two years of of, of like you said, intentional steps mm-hmm. to be able to get to a point before we even introduced the idea of collaborative response.
0: Yeah, well, and I was fascinated through that. But then, over the number of years that you've been implementing, of course, there's always been refinements, and I've loved hearing. That back and forth of we gather feedback, we analyze what people are saying, we make adjustments. It comes back to that leadership team because I know collaborative response, especially in those first three years, was a consistent agenda item for your leadership team of, okay, what's the next tweak, refinement mm-hmm. that's going to help us move forward?
2: I think, well, and again, coming back to that semester system, um, you know, in in the six semesters we've done collaborative response. We've never done it the same way twice. There's all, there were some sort of notable changes early on, but now you're right. It's just to the tweak stage, you know, and um, you know like, so next September, we're going to go with the staff growing, we thought, oh, well, we should grow to larger teams or have, sorry, to have more teams. And mm-hmm. uh, But what we found was that di- diluted the conversation somewhat. So we're, you know, dropping a couple of teams and, um, you, know, the, you know, so it's just little changes like that that make a difference. But what happens there is that the staff sees that it's responsive. And when the staff sees that it's responsive every time, Um, you know, they feel heard and they they are willing to continue to be invested because they see that leadership is, you know, responding to what would make the process better, more valuable, more relevant for them.
3: Carolyn, I, I really appreciate the articulating that fact that we go from instructional focus and instructional expertise to moving to how do we best support our students and we talk about that a lot but it's not just a you know we can do that through PD or we can do that through you know just some. reading or discussion but it really moves it's a belief system behind that and it moves through uh, structural and and process things that you are doing in your Mm -hmm. school so I'd love to be able to hear a little bit about your layers of teams because clearly through collaborative response Mm -hmm. you have designed layers of teams to attend to all those needs
0: and with yes. that, Carolyn, I know there's going to be some people listening going, okay, in a school that size, when and how yeah. are people getting <laughs> together? So yeah, feel free to sure. get very technical and introduce our our listeners to how torch time is constructed <laughs> and um, contributes to that within Memorial. Sure. Um,
2: well, so I'll start with um, torch time. So uh, again, you know, um, when a leader comes into a school, uh, one of the things that my wisdom would say is that uh, you have to be very, very clear on your context. And as much as you uh, may come in with all kinds of enthusiasm and eagerness to you know, uh, make it the best school ever, which you will, um, you need to slow down and you need to be respectful of what's going on at the moment, you need to discover and uncover where your expertise is, and you also need to be aware of where there may be some historical sore spots. And so there was there was a historical sore spot called student directed learning here, which was essentially a flex block. I've said this enough that I don't feel like I'm throwing anybody under the bus any longer. But I think um, in back in the days of high school redesign, you know, a, a flex block was something that was being tossed around all kinds of schools, and and some schools were able to implement it fairly effectively, and some schools not. And Memorial was a school that was not. Um, And, and my, I can diagnose, you know, because I wasn't here at the time, but ultimately, it was a solution without a defined problem. And so, yeah, yeah, so when we were talking about the creation, you know, being able to implement uh, collaborative response, um, it became very clear very quickly that it wasn't going to work if it wasn't embedded in the day and that there needed to be not only the time to have the meetings, but a, the teacher said very quickly, okay, those meetings are all well and good and we're going to identify all kinds of interventions, but when are we going to actually do yeah. Yeah. interventions? And so so the first year we, we put in torch time, we put it in um, as uh, 40 minutes at the end of every day. We shortened each block 10 minutes. And um, and it, it went reasonably well, um, but not great. <laughs> the teachers work on a rotation. Uh, so right now, this past year we've had nine teams and three teams meet on Tuesday, three teams meet on Wednesday, three teams meet on Thursday. And so um, what happens on the days when they're not meeting is that they would be in torch sessions and the students sign up for a torch session. And, um, and so sometimes those sessions are sessions that are um, organized by the school, you know, so we, uh, we make sure that we schedule that there's a math, English, science, social session every day um, in our school our size, there's probably two every day. Um, and then, but then the teachers who aren't assigned to those uh, sessions also have the flexibility to create their own. And so, um, you know, so there sessions happening there. But the other thing that has been a game changer in terms of buying in to this program, but also um, helping teachers clearly understand the the role of the intervention or or how to use the intervention strategies they identify, is that, um, so Monday we don't have TORCH, that's at least four days in a week. So they're in a CR meeting one day, they're in two intervention sessions. The fourth day is what we call teacher intervention and the teachers love it and cannot live without it now. And essentially that is a 40 minute block of time that they have each week to complete the interventions they identify. So if they, for example, have identified that they need to have a one-to-one conversation with a student, they book it during that time. If they identify that they need to call some parents, that's the time they have to do it. If they identify that, um, you know, maybe, maybe things are going good in their in their world this particular week, and somebody other, a different teacher was talking about their students and their kids weren't necessarily on the agenda. Um, they can use that time to like our teachers are sending good news emails now. They have time to do it. Oh, that's and, awesome. I make it very clear that it is intervention time. You cannot be going and, and, you know, doing your marking or your planning, but there have been teachers that have used that time to research particular intervention strategies. There have been times where they have worked within department teams to say, how can, you know, I'm using it this way. How are you using this strategy? Oh, you do it that way. You know, have that collegial conversation about implementation of the strategies. That's sort of what the teachers are doing. Um, What the kids are doing is, um, in that flex time, in that torch time, we have to be comfortable as a school, I need to be comfortable as an administrator, that not every student is participating. And so we do have about a third of the kids, um, sometimes even as much as a half the kids, are leaving the building they are driving away and going to work or whatever it might be that they're doing mm-hmm. but we talk a lot about our students being in good standing and in good standing is meeting the expectations of themselves their teachers and their parents and if you are in good standing then essentially you can sign up for a torch session called off campus with parent permission and so so they they can do that um, and then the kids on site they are doing is they are attending into those sessions, um, and uh, we've got a software system that uh, ties into PowerSchool, so the kids can self-register for those sessions. We can take attendance. It's part of the phone call system home at the end of the day every day. Yeah. And and then, but we've also as a school got a few sessions because you know I mentioned that agricultural thing. We got a lot of kids coming in on the bus, you know. So there are some kids who just don't can't drive away. And so we've got open gym, we've got the weight room open, we've got a computer lab open, we've got the library open. Um, You know, we've got a a couple of independent work rooms. And so the students can just go and work on whatever it is they might be needing to work on. So yeah, so that's what the students are doing. Now, when we first implemented torch time in the first year, we we had it five days a week, but uh, we realized very quickly that, you know, adolescents are adolescents, and they may not be highly motivated towards school. And so <laughs> so um, we, we don't have a torch on Mondays. Uh, what we do is we do a rotation through each of the blocks, uh, you know, week one, block one, week two, block two, um, where the teachers, it's not a bell driven thing, but the teachers know that during that block, um they are to have the students sign up for their torch sessions for the remainder of the week so there's some oversight to that and the software software that we use the teachers can pull up their class list and they can see ting 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 who's signing up for what days and they can say hey curtis i see there's nothing signed up beside your name what are you going to sign up for this week how are you doing in math or whatever it might be and so so we we uh that was one of the changes tweaks that we made was we don't have torch on Mondays so that we can support torch use through the rest of the week.
0: Awesome. So then Carolyn, with what the kids are doing in the intervention, describe then how you've created, you talked about three teams off the floor on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, who's on those teams? What are they doing during that time? And I know that you've put a lot of, of time, energy and investment into building skill sets and distributing leadership so that it's not a, I have to be attending every one of these, or we have to have um, someone managing what's happening. Do you, do you want to describe how those teams are constructed and the leadership that you put in place?
2: Getting right back to the very initial implementation, the leadership council team has been, you know, instrumental in making this work, but at the very beginning of the journey, um, offered it out to any staff member who was interested. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, I believe there were 17 teachers. So our leadership council is typically seven bodies, um, but we had an additional 10 teachers who wanted to be part of the creation and the growth of the the process. And so they were invited to the leadership council meetings that were CR was the topic. So in terms of creating the teams, what happened way back then was we as the administrators said, you know what, we reserve the right to create those teams because we we know things about our teachers that they might know not know about each other. And so, you know, we, you know, it's kind of like when you create a class list, you know, you should, shouldn't should put this one with that one, you know, those kinds of things, but you know that these two work really well together, that kind of thing. So, hmm. so there was a bit of that that needed to go on. So what we did was we asked that implementation team to give us criteria. So when we are creating the teams, what is the criteria we should follow? So some of the things they said were uh, to support that whole interdisciplinary idea is that each team needs to have uh, a humanities person. Each team needs to have a math science person and each team needs to have a complementary teacher. Uh, Then we want you to spread out the rookies and the veterans. So all the new teachers to the school aren't on the same team. Uh, then we also want to, uh, how did they put it? Um, uh, but essentially, um, you know, people with a positive outlook and people with a negative outlook on both teams um, are are both on the team. And so each year we still create the teams. But this year we've gotten to the point where we're keeping the teams actually pretty similar. Um, for the first couple of rounds, we, you know, we created each year we created two teams that really didn't work well together and uh, but this year uh, you know we've, we've had enough experience that we were able to create our teams that went uh, quite well the only thing we did was we dissolved a team because the teams had become too small so we just spread those teachers out amongst the other teams and then uh, so anyway um so that's how the teams are created is by using that criteria so uh, again that this is again where that leadership team comes into play um so in our school uh, when you become a lead teacher, you get a small stipend, but you also get an additional prep. And so by giving that that lead teacher an additional prep, that's where they take care of the duties that they have to do. And so there's some duties that are just related to the business of the school, for example, related to diploma exams and those kinds of things. But then one of the duties that they are expected to take on is that they become the facilitators of the teams. And so, again, at the beginning, uh, Curtis came in and did some additional work with the lead teachers to go through what are all the steps of the meeting, what are all the skills the facilitators need, you know, those kinds of things. And so, and because those teachers have that extra prep time that is to compensate for the after-school meeting time they have as well. And so that group of people is always coming together every two weeks, twice a month, we get together. And so um, initially we were spending a lot of time talking about how is the facilitation of those meetings going. And so all, Seven, eight of those teachers were able to say that um, uh, we, you know, this, this worked well for me. I had a problem with this. And they, they were able to create a network between themselves to be able to support each other as facilitators. One of the things I forgot to mention is that in once those teams are created, um, our grade administrators, so we've got three grade administrators and three counselors, they attend a meeting every day. And so there is a great administrator and a counselor in every one of those meetings. Mm-hmm. And all of the great administrators plus myself attend the leadership council meetings. So not only do the facilitators, are they able to talk about what worked well and not well, but they've also got another set of eyes that can can say, hey, you know, by the way, you didn't notice how well you did this. When you said this, the te- this other teacher responded in this way or or whatever. So there's there was a feedback mechanism within the leadership council team from the great administrator. But here's an, an exciting thing, Curtis, for next year, uh, Laura, um, is that um, the we we believe that we are to the point where we are going to be rotating the facilitator rule amongst all of the teachers in the team that will be a change for next year so we've got it set up that the lead teachers are still going to do all the pre-organizational stuff because you know the the email and collecting the the names of the kids and the issues and those sorts of things in advance because they've got the time allocated but when it actually comes to running the meeting um they'll do the first one the grade administrator will do the second one but after that the various members of the team will will take Mm -hmm. on the facilitation role and and We're doing that for a couple of reasons. Number one is we've got a lot of eager teachers, but also there are some teachers who maybe aren't as invested as we want them to be. And if they are the ones leading the meeting, then there's a bit of uh, 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 more investment as well.
0: I remember coming in to very early on, Carolyn, and um, spending time with student services leadership and that team saying, we're feeling overwhelmed. We can't keep up with the number of kids yep. needing referrals, whatnot. It was also one of the impetus to moving towards as a school this large, we can't be shifting this percentage of our students to more intensive supports. It's just not sustainable. So do you want to describe um, that team and and how they meet ends? If you've seen any impact from those early discussions of we can't keep up with the number of referrals that are
2: coming our way. When I, Again, when I first got here, so it's always been a team of three, but when I first arrived here, there were two counselors and one uh, inclusive education lead. And um, and so uh, we went with that for a couple of years, but we, in recognizing just a, a broader range of support, and we did have kids falling through the cracks, and that's one of the things about collaborative response that really matters to me as well is that every Mm -hmm. kid needs to have a clearly articulated team and so we shifted that model to the to now uh, where this is our second year where we've had a great administrator counselor team the the great administrators have always cycled with the kids but now they've got a partner counselor that cycles with them as well Uh, so that's helped a little bit just because there's um, all of the kids are much more it's much more clear who's looking after who right so you're Um, saying
0: an admin and a counselor uh tandem move with i have we're with grade 10s this year then we move to 11 12 and then we cycle back
2: you betcha that exactly how that goes that's one thing that we've done sort of externally Hmm. but the other thing that has started to occur also because of the counselor being in the meetings and the initially this in the first year particularly in the CR meetings, the teachers were spinning their wheels a lot in, in wow. some cases. And so we we had to have lots of conversation about locus of control. And once we, we are to the point now where people are self-correcting each other. No, we don't talk about attendance. That is beyond our control. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and so that is another thing that happened um, which contributed to the notion of teachers recognizing i can take care of these kids who are actually coming all the time and i can take care of them by doing x y and z which has opened up the communication to the great administrator counseling team Um, and so uh, and then for those kids who aren't attending it becomes really easy to also refer them to the great administrator counselor yeah. team for a different level of support. That's been helpful. It, that That's done some reducing because there's been more clarity about who's responsible for who and a lot more clarity. And And that's something I wouldn't mind getting into a little bit about, about who's responsible for what. And so mm-hmm. um, with the teachers being really clear within my classroom, I am responsible for this and this and this. Uh, but now I've gotten to the point where it's not my responsibility anymore. But it's also, on the flip side, made it clear to other teachers that I've got to do this, this, and this before I can make it somebody else's responsibility.
0: Yeah, just hearing so much work around intentionality, clarity, alignment. I mean, those are words we use often in this mm-hmm. work is just reaching that point of um crystal clarity.
2: Now, in terms of other things, um, uh, when you talk about those layers of teams and that kind of thing, um, you know, like, that's where um, there was some brainstorming that came together in terms of creating that transitions program, um, you know, that we we were recognizing that we were losing grade 10s. And then, you know, and COVID made it worse, um, is really what it came down to. And so it, it took, you know, there, it was through a few group discussions about supporting our grade tens that we came up with an additional tier three support of that transitions class. And this, like I said, this is the first year we had it. At the beginning of the year, I think we I think we had 14 kids registered. Um, by the by the end of September, we had 24 kids in that class. Um, you know, again, because we recognize, you know, the teachers were able to recognize very quickly. um, And again, because we're doing things like MIPI assessments and RCAT assessments that we hadn't been doing in previous years, pre-CR. And so the the teachers were able to recognize a little, you know, fairly quickly that a, a student was just not ready for grade 10. But now we had a place for them to go. And so, um, yeah, so so that okay. has really helped in terms of another level, uh, tier three level of support for the students. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the creation of our um, Xnomadawan program is that um, uh, we've partic- It's mostly our call First Nation students who have struggled, um, mostly due to attendance at school. But I mean, you know the. the a lot of them live a very traumatic life. and And so, for arriving at school, there's there's just you know way more things more important than than a textbook in a class. And so um, we had we we needed a program that had multiple levels, multiple entry points multiple ways of programming and it and so it it took us a while but again we figured we've have figured that out we just started that in semester two of this year and i I was just meeting with the staff yesterday 260 credits were of course 260 credits were earned
0: from kids
2: from kids who would have probably probably of that group of kids maybe maybe 80 you know that's
0: incredible Carolyn this totally exemplifies what we've talked about particularly in the last number of years of creating that mindset within the school of this is how we go about collaboratively responding Mm -hmm. and it it has to look different in every school because when Mm -hmm. we come together to respond it's in direct relation to what is it that we're seeing and Mm -hmm. knowing that the kids are needing and you get to that place through some really intentional structures and systems and and processes in place so uh, outstanding
2: so i want to circle back to that um you know when when i talked a little bit about um how everybody was clear on their responsibilities and and you know the Mm -hmm. teachers knew they had to do this before it became a school thing Mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing that is one of the inherent things that I, I love about the collaborative response process, you know, that, that level one, two, three, four, um, that, the the fact that there is a, a process that happens, it's not just a, I have a problem, somebody else take it, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just,
3: yeah,
2: you know, and so, so when you identify that problem, the first time, this was before the pandemic, um, that we morphed the, the collaborative response process, we came across this problem at the end of, the first semester of the year we were starting to implement and what the problem was is that we've got an exam room in the school so if a student misses a key assessment um they i can come either at lunch or after school to write the exam in the exam room so they don't miss another block writing of, of instruction while they're writing the exam they missed mm-hmm. and so um that, at that point in time it was the second year we had implemented this process and we we were getting to the point where we were gathering data and what we found out is that at the end of semester one of that year we had 1500 exams written in just semester one and our enrollment was only 1100 kids at the time so (laughs) i saw like problem (laughs) yeah yeah no so, doubt <laughs> so then I'm we're kind of going oh my gosh what do we do with this little bit nugget of information but this is where CR to the rescue um you know so we we have a continuum here called key assessment completion so what are is everything that every teacher is going to do for every kid in relation to supporting them in completing their key assessment what for the kids who are missing key assessments what are we doing for those and then when it still becomes problematic, how is that being shifted over to the grade level team? What we did was, so we've got the the, the the tier one, two, three, but then underneath each of those sections, we have a couple of procedural things that teachers also do. So one of the things that was not happening consistently is that, when the key assessment was not written, some teachers were not putting in a zero into power school. So parents are going, oh, okay, my kid's cruising along. And then at the end of semester, poof, three zeros go in. And then all of a sudden the 60 goes down to a 40 or whatever it might be, you know? So, so we were able to use the collaborative response process for a very, very specific problem within our school. Mm -hmm. Then the pandemic happened. And so our teachers are freaking out you know remember like I don't want to remember it but <laughs> nobody wants to remember it <laughs> yeah but I mean like engagement was such an issue and uh you know with the online learning and that kind of a thing and the teachers were already overwhelmed and they just could not really you know they, they just did not know what to do so again CR to the rescue so for all of your kids you're going to do this for some of your kids you're going to do that and if that doesn't work, then the administrators will come through and we actually created a COVID-19 continuum. Yeah. And and so that has helped. Uh, again, skills aren't where they are pre-COVID. Um, our students, you know, uh, a bell doesn't mean a bell to them <laughs> the way it used to. And so, <laughs> yeah. so our new issue is lates. And so as a staff next year, we are going to be taking on the lates process. So we have developed, again, tier one, tier two, tier three, this this collaborative response. Just by c- being so clear on who's responsible for what, it can solve a lot of things within a school. So Carolyn, mm-hmm. I get
1: the honor of asking this question of all the leaders that we bring on to putting the pieces together.
3: This
2: question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success.
1: I am in awe of the learning that your school has done, the size that it is, the size of the staff, the number of students, and in awe of the fact that you have implemented in two different school contexts. Mm -hmm. So in the spirit of if you knew then what you know now, what advice would you give yourself about implementing collaborative response?
2: Do it. Uh, You know, if you have any doubts, uh, do it. Um, you know, so um, it's the way to go. It was worth it. I mean, it was not easy. Um, let me tell you, there have been um, particularly at the high school level where, you know, teachers think a little differently than than elementary teachers do. You know, they're a lot more concerned with credentialing and relationship with industry. And, you know, so they, they are much, much more siloed and much more content driven. And, and as a result, they have a lot more uh, things that they think about, than elementary teachers do in in a lot of ways um and so there was there was pushback there is no doubt there was pushback at the beginning but that mm-hmm. but persevere persevere it is worth it you know um you know i i do remember hearing in various meetings you know that you know what we're showing you now it took us three or four years to build it yeah it does take that long this is not something that is uh uh, a quick fix, one shot overnight, anything, you know, and so but it is worth it, if you can persevere, it is worth it. And it changes your culture, it changes your teachers. And, uh, and so I would say, it's it's going to have a bigger impact than you think. So do it.
0: Well, and I know through uh, this podcast, we're also gathering some of the data pieces that you have. So if anyone's interested, there is going to be um, some, some data and an infographic that goes along with this with, again, access to a number of resources that Carolyn, we've been so appreciative of you being able to share and help support others along this, this work or the, the journey that you've been talking to. I do have to let people uh, know that I was very excited to get a text earlier in the year from Carolyn saying, "Woohoo! who knew that this would be the year where our data starts to catch up to the work that we've put in. We've been Seeing and feeling the success, but the data is now starting to reflect. Do you want to just touch on that bit, uh, Carolyn, to mm-hmm. hand us off? Uh,
2: one of the leadership things that you need to be doing, no matter what it is that you're working on, is that you need to find out if, it, if it's actually making a difference. Yeah. And so, um, uh, as I thought about this a couple of years ago, I thought, well, how, what, what data could I possibly collect to know this? And so, Created two surveys for the staff. Um, the first survey is essentially I just I took our continuum of supports, and um, and just made a survey. Do you use this strategy or don't you, and um, or have you used sorry have you used it within the last month, uh, or do you consider it to be a regular part of your toolbox of strategies. And so uh, I have that staff, the staff do it in the fall, and then I have them do it again in the spring. And um, And I just actually tabulated our results. So I've got three years saying that there has been at least a 10% increase in the use of strategies from fall to spring. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fairly safe to say if you've got teachers who are using more strategies, students are probably being better supported. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that's the first survey, um, and, and it continues on. The teachers are kind of saying, can we have a different survey, please? We don't like this one anymore. We've done it enough, but, um, <laughs> this, and the second survey, um, for the first two years I did it, it was just two stars and a wish, uh, or, or sorry, there was one question, which is, do you find your collaborative response meeting time with your colleagues valuable? And, uh, and then tell me two stars and a wish. And, um, Uh, every year it's been 70, I think it was 71, 2% the first year, and it's growing to the point now where it's 85%, 84, 85% of the teachers agree that it is a valuable use of time. And then the two stars and a wish. Um, and, but now what I've expanded it to this year is I've expanded it to start to get into the details of how they're using the process. So how many kids have you referred, um, and so getting some some information that way, it was really challenging during COVID to get student data. It just to yeah. me, it wasn't fair to be able to do that. But um, uh, so this last year at the end of the year, uh, we we gathered pass fail rates by course, um, you know, looking at this as an intervention based program. Um, I, I didn't feel like graduation, like, like graduation rate data are there, but and our graduation rates have been really good. Um, but on a course, you know, I wanted something more, uh, more granular than just yeah. a graduation rate. And so, uh, so we've, uh, t- I'm looking at pass fail rates by course. So I got that last year. I still, I have to wait for another week or so to get this year's data, but that will, that will be the student data that we're looking at to see if, if there are changes occurring on a course by course basis.
1: I... Um, I'm envious, so I made a brief comment earlier. Like I, I didn't even know we'd been in Northern Gateway at the same time. You were in Marathorp, I was in Fox Creek, so I, I landed in Fox about 2004. So like we, we kind of missed each other there. Yeah, I we did. <laughs> but to hear from a so, my background is I was a seven through twelve math science worked in a K to twelve school. I came from a school at Edmonton, my graduating class was a 1000. So I love hearing these stories now of high schools, big high schools, and how they're implementing collaborative response. And I get to say, man, what would life have been like, when I was a student had that been in place. So I think the things that you were doing are amazing. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you, kudos to your staff, because Mm -hmm. in a school your size, you're one cog and you have built yourself a team that is building up the rest of the staff. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing and taking the time to be here today and share with our audience. And I will be sure to link in the description, some of the pieces that you've shared, some of the samples, like I know you shared the COVID continuum. So I'll make mm-hmm. sure that I put that in there so people can see it.
2: And mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. for it. It's, it's nice to be able to share the story.
0: Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team.
3: In Collaborative Response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts.
0: Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website. Join the
3: growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team.
1: Unfortunate that Lorna had to step away, but we know that your time is valuable and busy with partners. I wanted to point out that one of the things that came through for me was the authenticity of the relationships that you established. So mm-hmm. to hear Carolyn talk about AC, which I mean, it, it's years past, but talk about the connections of learning together then and then learning through the processes and how she, she was always able to reach out to you when the time was yeah. right Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how you operate, Curtis. That's how you even learn to operate.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, And it's been very much reciprocal in all of those situations. And you heard Carolyn talk about it of we were learning alongside while she was learning. And I think uh, through this, this really came clear in this episode that, and I loved her (laughs) bringing in the, the Nike slogan of you just do it. You just have to do it because you're going to learn and process and and really make the work, the collaborative response work your own within your organization. But you're going to learn through that process and adjust and tweak. And she's been very, very diligent in being able to have feedback loops that are coming back, not just to her, but to a leadership team that she's put a lot of, of trust and support in place for them but we're going to adjust and make changes as we go along and like she said some were pretty significant at the start when they were finding things weren't working now they're in tweaking phases but I think it really reinforced the idea that implementation and sustaining collaborative response is a learning journey and it's never done so you can't hold off getting started I love that message coming from her.
1: And I love the question you asked her about, you know, she talked about having been in the school for a little bit and then implementing collaborative response. So I love when you asked her about talking about the intentional setting of that foundation.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of seeds that were planted along the way. And again, gathering feedback, it there was very purposefully laid out from a leadership perspective. And again, knowing this is a path we need, or I know that will have success for us for the um, issues or problems that we are uncovering. But when's the right time and right way to be able to introduce and move forward? I think is really, really critical. I loved, loved that idea of we had something in place that was a solution to a problem we hadn't yet really clearly identified. And man, that, uh, that really, really stuck with me.
1: Yes. And so I know Lorna's not with us, but I think she would point out again, as she did in the episode, that one of the things that struck her was that mindset shift of instructional practice being the driver to student needs being the driver for learning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really also loved the takeaway of systems thinking being attached to the work that that she's engaged with her leadership team. Within the school it's very much thinking about how do all the different components interact and align with one another and recognize that over time we're going to start to connect and build that system systems approach. Uh, To me that's absolutely critical within the work but that it can't be all established overnight like she said it, it takes time and for people to have the the aha and, and connections for what it is that they're doing.
1: Well, and in that systems thinking, she grabbed onto a word that I know you adore and that's the clarity, right? Clarity of everything along the way. So clarity of what teachers are going to be responsible for, what next teams are going to be responsible for. Clarity around even the cycling of the teams in terms of the administrator and the counselor. Clarity around the criteria for the collaborative teams that are coming together. And inviting that clarity to be articulated by the staff.
0: Absolutely. And I think another thing that stood out to me too is being very intentional around what kind of data would we be collecting year over year that is going to help us determine if we're having success or not and help inform the next steps that we should be be taking. I think for the listeners and viewers, you're going to be very excited to see some of the data tools That Carolyn will share with us to be able to help evidence is the work making a difference for us and can we um, again provide proof of are we making an impact not just for kids but for staff as well
1: so quick summary key learning number one do it the process of collaborative response is a learning journey you start it but it doesn't end because you will continually refine absolutely number two that journey requires a purposeful path so you can see where carolyn's system thinking which would be learning number three systems thinking informed that path so that it had clarity and purpose and meaning and relevance for all people at all levels
0: absolutely and then
1: the last learning would be that mindset right student needs are the driver we are not creating a solution for a problem that we haven't articulated but we're identifying what do our kids need and responding accordingly.
0: Absolutely. And responding through a systems approach that clearly articulates who responds where and in what way.
1: Absolutely. So we're very fortunate that Carolyn took time, as she said, retirement's on the horizon. So I'm glad we got to have this conversation. So thank you because my brief connection with, That team around the software to support the process that was four or three years ago it was exciting to see their enthusiasm for what they were trying to build so i appreciate the the follow-up now yeah
0: and it was super interesting she didn't um note it within the episode but she had sent a number of her new teachers to our collaborative response pre-retreat that we had in may just to Get the big overall picture of the work to then put it in context within their school. Uh, Their table were super, super engaged and talking to others within the room to be able to say, our school does this and it's amazing. It's been so great to be able to join. They, of course, did not have any of the historical background of what's gone into it over the last number of years. They just have essentially parachuted into it at this place. But the positivity that they talked about, the sense of collaboration, camaraderie and support that was in the school was really outstanding to be able to hear. So it's not just somebody closing her door in a principal's office and sharing out her perspective, but we heard from new people coming into her building how appreciative and how much it is impacting what it is that they do as, as teachers for kids.
1: Well, Curtis, I think you've alluded to a podcast series that we've done on the idea of sustainable onboarding of new staff, Absolutely. the leading collaborative response podcast. So I'll make sure that I include those in the links as well below so that people can get a sense of how this process continues when there are transitions in staff, when there are new staff coming into a building. Absolutely. Uh, 61 staff, she said, you know, five or six new teachers, that's 10% of your staff changing over.
0: Absolutely. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again for more conversations about establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response.